Welcome to the GAHI Leadership Podcast. The Georgia Association of Healthcare Executives, or GAHI, is committed to the development of leadership skills, knowledge exchange, and networking opportunities. GAHI represents a broad range of healthcare executives, professionals, consultants, and students throughout the state of Georgia. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Gahi's virtual leadership series webinar. I'm Bruce Lloyd, Gahi's executive director, and it's my pleasure to introduce Gahi's president, Angela Henry, who is sector leader health for Corn Ferry. Angela, you want to take over? Hey, thank you, Bruce. Um, welcome, everyone, and thank you all for being here. It is my honor to welcome you to Gahi's Leadership Series webinar featuring Andrew Chastain, President and CEO of Whit Kiefer. I'd like to take just a few moments to start off our meeting by recognizing our sponsors and expressing our gratitude to these corporate partners. Our platinum sponsors include Wellstar Health System and Atrium Health Navicent. Gold, we've got Actalent, Piedmont Healthcare, Northeast Georgia Health System, and Vizia. Our silver sponsors include DT Spade, KCA Firm, Vivlio Health, Georgia Nurses Association, Metro Atlanta Ambulance Service, and SSR Inc. We do have several upcoming events, uh, with our closest one being just next week, our inaugural event for North Georgia Summit on October 5th from 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. This event features an all-day full of educational programming, networking, lunch, and headshot opportunities. We do have a pre-event networking as well the night before on October 4th in Canton, Georgia, and it is also included in our full registration. Please visit the events page at www.gahi.org for details and registration on this, as well as our upcoming programs. Gahi does feature several different ways to stay connected through social media using Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Encourage you all to join us and keep up to date with our activities and what's going on within our local chapter. Today's program offers one hour of ACHE qualified credit, which can be self-reported on the ACHE website. Just visit there and log into your My ACHE and log your one hour after uh, this, this, this educational program. Now, it is my pleasure to introduce Andrew Chastain, President and CEO of Wit Kiefer. Andrew is responsible for charting the firm's strategic trajectory while ensuring excellence and exceptional service for its firm's clients. He brings over 20 years of leadership experience to the firm and continues to play a key role in select high-profile search assignments. Andrew offers his clients a consultative approach with keen strategic insight to deliver proven results. He merges his extensive management and healthcare expertise to identify leadership needs while providing guidance through a rigorous assessment process to identify outstanding leaders for his clients. His search assignments include identifying C-suite and executive leaders in healthcare, including children's hospitals, integrated health systems, academic medical centers, research institutes, consulting firms, and other health-related industries. He has also conducted searches on behalf of colleges, universities, community associations, and cultural institutions. For his innovative approaches to addressing his clients', clients leadership needs, Andrew received the 2016 Future of the Profession Award from the Association of Executive Search and Leadership Consultants. Now I'll turn the session over to Andrew. Thanks, Angela. I appreciate it. I, uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. 
And uh, I see some familiar names, not so many familiar faces because nobody seems to be on screen, but it is great to, to see uh, the names pop up of folks that I've worked with. I want to thank uh, Bruce Lloyd and Larry Tyler for the invitation to participate uh, today. And uh, sort of what I've planned to share today is um, uh, re basically research and observations. So we have hundreds of professionals working in the healthcare executive marketplace every day. And our team uh, is talking to executives just like yourselves about their hopes, their dreams, their concerns, the challenges that they have, and the opportunities that they see in their future. And, uh, and we curate all of that uh, and, and put it into insights to be able to then share with you. So, uh, so this is all based off of, of that information. It's not just Andrew's uh, observations. It's the observations of, of the entire firm. Um, while I uh, serve as the CEO of Woodkeefer, I remain active, as uh, Angela said. And um, on for, for my day job on the on the leading of the firm, I'm, re I'm responsible for developing implement, implementing strategies to support our purpose, creating platforms and a culture to support our teams, ensuring quality of our service and then developing new capabilities to serve our clients. But then on the uh, the client service, I'm, I'm working with health systems, just like where you work, uh, making sure that we have the right talent in place, uh, that they're organized in the right ways, and that we're working uh, really well uh, to achieve a collective goal. I'm gonna share my screen here, if I can. Uh, let me see, give me just a moment. And I'll pull up, uh, I've got a few slides to share today. Um, and so when uh, when Larry and Bruce asked me to talk, uh, they said, uh, can you see that? Will somebody give me a thumbs up? I can see Angela. Can you see the, the screen? Did it, did it work? Okay, great. Um, they, they said, can you give us observations of sort of what's changing in the, the leadership market? So we all are, are aware of what's going on uh, in, in the in the in the uh, staffing space, uh, but can you take it up to what our uh, audience might be experiencing uh, as it relates to their own careers and how uh, they're navigating uh, the um, the recruitment of executives to join their teams, as well as um, uh, as their own careers. And so that's really the purpose of today's agenda. So uh, what we will talk about is really uh, outline what what we observe going on in that marketplace. And then how do we think you can position your organization to succeed in attracting the best talent? And then uh, to play to our own, uh, uh, our own selves is the sort of, and how does it, how can you position yourself for success? And so we'll be balancing both of those uh, personalities that you have about uh, how to serve your organization and how to, how to serve yourself. But we are uh, we are experiencing really dramatic changes uh, that are going on in the healthcare market, and so I, I want to talk a little bit about um, advance this um, talk a little bit about sort of what we are experiencing from a macro level. Um, you all are experiencing a labor mismatch. Uh, it, it, there's significantly more openings uh, and lower participation. Uh, and you don't have to look very far to find statistics. Everywhere you go, it paints a pretty bleak picture of uh, the long-term labor needs in the U.S. economy, and specifically in healthcare. You probably, some of you saw uh, yesterday, there was an article, and I, I saw it again today online in the Wall Street Journal that was that they had published an 
article uh, called Why America Has Long-Term Labor Crisis in Six Charts. It was pretty interesting. They had six charts that sort of outlines reduction in participation rates, the baby boomers retiring, um, the use of immigration, uh, the controversies around that. Um, and, and it's it, it's garnered, that issue has garnered incredible attention, uh, both inside our industry, outside of our industry, um, uh, nationally and internationally. I had the opportunity to attend the, the World Health Organization's Congress on HR last spring in Geneva. And it was eye-opening on some of the global staffing issues. We tend to think about it as it relates to uh, U.S. Um, um, uh, staffing issues, then it's sort of our region, then it's our system, then it's our hospital, then it's our our, our, our responsibilities inside that hospital. But it was eye-opening to, to see it on a global scale and, and actually witness really tense testimony from developing countries that are really struggling as developed countries are coming in and taking some of their best talent. And I had not sort of seen it from that level. Um, so, so we all know those are kind of the things that are going on at, at the highest levels that from a, from a macro standpoint. Those are also uh, influencing what's going on from a macro level, from a micro level in healthcare executive talent. So it just in general, uh, those same themes of sort of demand is up and supply is down. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. And uh, what uh, I think Angela probably pointed to in the in the intro, I've been doing this for 26 years, which is probably longer than most of you've been alive. Um, and our firm's been around for 54 years. And there are stats that I can share that would show you that it's just different. I've never seen anything quite like this in 26 years. The firm hasn't seen things like this in 54. And so I'll share with you some of those observations of things that, that, that we're seeing from just before uh, COVID, so sort of March 2020 to, to current what's happening today. Um, and what what we've seen, what, what Angela probably um, saw at Corn Ferry is that volumes, and, and we focus um, specifically on executive talent. So any numbers that I share with you would be about executives, not about staffing. So we're kind of done with the staffing part of this discussion. Um, is that our, our volumes almost doubled between 2020 and 2022. Uh, and so you just saw this huge surge uh, of demand coming up. Uh, and, and you saw it when you were trying to deal with staffing, but we saw it at the executive level. And so we track, just like you track um, um, uh, admissions and and, uh, and lengths of stay and all because we, we study all kinds of stats. We study hours. We study any publicly available information on others. And so uh, when we we saw this huge surge in demand for um, for talent at the executive levels, um, and that was in, started in the summer of 2020, uh, it, it continued through 21, it continued through 22. Uh, through 23, I think everybody's seeing a slight uh, slowing down of new job starts, uh, but it's slowing down off of last year's peak, not off of 2020's typical numbers. So we just got onto a higher plateau. So we climbed a mountain and stayed at the mountaintop, although we're kind of going up and down a little bit. So it, th these stats just 
show there's something different going on. And it was our job to sort of go, okay, what is that? How does it impact our clients that we serve? How does it impact us? And how do we better serve knowing that these things are going on? And so that's just sort of an intro of there's weird data going on. It suggests that there's something going on in the market. So then we dove in to say, what are our clients telling us? What are candidates telling us? And what are observations that we can do through doing our own research? So here's what we uh, what we saw. Um, we, we the drivers of uh, of of demand and supply. Uh, we we started to see had changed, uh, and so we saw uh, one burnout. Big surprise, right? Uh, people were burning out already, but as COVID happened, uh, you were working as we would expect anybody in that situation. You're trying to save lives and support your teams. So you were working hours that you had never worked before in intensities that you had never worked before. And so people are just saying, I'm done. They're just, they're just I'm done. I, I don't, I can't be a CNO anymore. I, I just want to do something different. I got to get out of this market. And so when those folks left at a higher rate, it increased, um, it increased demand. So then we saw retirements and I'm going to break those out into several kinds of retirements. We saw delayed retirements. And so from 2020 to 2021, 22, people said, I can't leave my peeps. I got to stick this out. I'm going to ride this through um, through COVID. And so they those got pent up and then all of a sudden they released into the market. Um, we saw planned. So there was just generally like I'm people put a pin in the date, I'm going to retire on this date. Those still happened. Uh, and then you saw accelerated. So um, uh, unpredicted by anyone, while we were having all these challenges, the stock market and the housing markets just went nuts too. So it allowed people who might be thinking they were going to retire in 23, 24, 25 to actually retire uh, during this period that we're talking about. And so all that added up to more retirements than we had predicted uh, or we're tracking for. And there was an uh, article, and uh, this this will probably be my only, I'll try and make it my only sports analogy, but Sports Illustrated had an article years ago about the turnover uh, at the University of North Carolina's basketball coaching position. And it showed the, the change at the top of a, of a chart. And then all of the positions that were impacted by that one turnover. So as people, you know, the person took that job, who took their job? And it was like 12 or 18 different folks who were impacted until someone inside got promoted. So all that built up uh, additional uh, demand. Uh, then there was partials. And so uh, we started to see folks saying, hey, I, I can't work like this full time anymore, but I'm all in for on-demand talent. So uh, it used to be, uh, it was just interim. So people used interim work to augment a uh, time-specific uh, transition. So a CFO leaves, we have to have one. We don't have somebody inside, so can you find me a, uh, um, an interim CFO? Uh, that business has changed uh, significantly. So there's uh, influences of the gig economy that have come in even at the executive level. And so you're seeing a lot more on-demand talent. Uh, and so people signed up for it. They're like, hey, I, I on in three months off and six months on and three months off. And they're using it not just for a specific position, they're using it for uh, to augment um, capabilities for periods of time rather than hiring 
uh, a full-time executive for say strategy or transformation, they bring somebody in on an interim spot. And so that sucked talent out too. Um, and so, uh, so demand to replace those folks continue to go up. We also saw a few, this isn't a lot, but I felt like I needed to put it on here, sabbaticals, people just saying, I need time off, I'll come back in a year or two uh, and do it. So all of those openings uh, or, or purposes of openings created demand uh, in the marketplace. And, and, and at the same time, supply was going down, uh, driven, uh, um, I, I should have also mentioned this before I, I went to supply, the expansion of the marketplace. I'm going to come back to what do I mean by that, but it really impact, it has impacted talent for us. So uh, supply, so as these openings happen, fewer people are interested in them. Uh, and so that was driving uh, the, the decrease in supply. Uh, a changing skill set. So our clients started to ask us for slightly different things over the same period of time, which meant that some folks who were qualified or, or uh, being sought out uh, now weren't as competitive. I'll come back to what is that, what are some uh, observations we have about that changing skill set? Um, because I think that would be a takeaway that, that you all might want to think about. Um, but we saw it in which meant we couldn't go to some of the traditional avenues for talent, we needed different skill sets. And then this is the big one about the expansion of the marketplace is you just have different people competing for uh, for this for this talent. And so you saw new entrants come in uh, in tech and uh, data companies. Uh, you see new omni-channel healthcare providers coming in. You see Optum, you see CVS uh, as a CEO. Uh, oh, wait a minute, it's not CVS. One of the, it's Walgreens, Boots. Uh, who's um, uh, announced that their CEO has transitioned and they're looking for someone to come out of the provider world. And see, we didn't see that three or four years ago. You didn't see someone go from a big health system uh, into a, uh, a publicly traded um, company like CVS or Walgreens. You see Humana taking talent, uh, Walmart taking talent. Uh, the current EVP of health and wellness at Walmart came out of an integrated delivery network. Uh, and so you start to see some of that talent that's moving. Dollar General uh, recruited chief medical officer came out of a provider network, One Medical. Uh, you have Amir Rubin, who I know is, is uh, announced that he's stepping down, but he came uh, from Memorial Hermann uh, into Stanford, into United, and then into uh, One Medical that's now part of Amazon. We also see enormous growth in private equity-backed services and technologies who are recruiting talent. Uh, and, and some numbers around that is in 2010, uh, we saw about $40 billion of investment uh, in uh, private equity into uh, healthcare services and technology that had grown by 2019 to, to 120 million. And there's been almost a uh, trillion dollars of investment made in services and tech uh, in, in healthcare specifically over the last decade. And so that is uh, new companies or companies that are repurposed and they are pulling talent in. So uh, some other examples would be uh, the CEO of uh, US Acute Care Solutions. Some of you might be clients of there. They're a large um, Apollo backed um, uh, emergency services company, about $4 billion in revenue. They have a former hospital CEO who's the, um, who's the C uh, uh, who is now the CEO of, of, of USAC's. 
you know, one of our placements as CEO of a university health system is now at Cerner. Uh, we had uh, a COO uh, client of ours who left a system and was looking to join a private equity firm, CFO who left health system, joined a private equity firm. You saw uh, Intermountain's CEO who joined uh, an Advent health executive to join General Catalyst. Ascension's COO on the provider side just left to go into Ascension Ventures. Uh, and, which is their um, um, innovation and uh, and co-investment tool. And so you just sort of see a lot of this talent um, being uh, um, uh, being very competitive uh, to going out. So the the talent market that we're interfacing with is just different. Um, and uh, and so these are all things that, uh, and I'll get to the implications of this for your organizations in just a minute. But uh, but this is the data that suggests that why we're experiencing the things that we're experiencing. I mentioned this this new skills uh, requirement that I think uh, you'll find uh, uh, interesting uh, to to see it kind of listed, if you will. But these are the things that we're hearing from our clients that they want to see in candidates that are slightly different. Uh, and you might go, this isn't really rocket science, Andrew. Yeah, it's not. These are just observations of what's going on in the market that you're experiencing, but it's a way to put it all together. And we're hearing from our clients that they want less linear executives. So the solutions that worked in the past uh, just aren't going to work now or in the future. And not that leading health systems was ever easy, uh, but it's it's different and it's harder today. And so we're testing candidates when we're interviewing them, not so much about what was the solution that worked in Phoenix or Dallas or Charlotte or whatnot. It's what was the process that they used to reveal those solutions and then how did they actually implement them? Because that's what leadership really is. It's not so much what was the, the solution because it's going to be different depending on the market. Um, when, uh, when, when I was in graduate school, we studied a book uh, there may be some others who are as old as me on this, called The Well-Managed Community Hospital. It was a book that came out in 87. I studied it in the early 90s about sort of what does hospital leadership look like. There was a page, uh, I think it was like 15 or 16, that basically said this is what a, health, what a hospital org chart looks like. You could rip that page out and crumble it up, and that's more what they look like today because it's completely different. So our clients want some uh, executives who are less linear and able to sort of th see th things around the corner. Uh, they want them. Uh, they want ex uh, leaders who are more comfortable with rapid change, so quicker agility, and that they create teams that can absorb the change uh, because it's happening faster. Uh, and so that's that's different. Uh, they want executives who can foster innovation. Um, I will tell my clients when they say we want an in we want a, uh, an innovator as a CEO, and I will often say you really want a great CEO who can inspire and foster innovation because you don't want your CEO to be your chief innovation officer. They really just need to be the macro capstone executive. Uh, but you've got to have uh, executives who can foster it and lead that innovation. And so uh, how you recruit that and how you can uh, um, um, distinguish yourself in that uh, will be important. Uh, ability to address scale. So the challenges of scale aren't new. But the scale of scale is new. I mean, some of these systems are huge. Uh, and how you navigate that, how you leverage it if you're part of it, how you compete with it if you're not, 
um, our clients, right? And that, that just depends on what side of the of the street our clients are on. But that ability to um, influence and, and succeed in scale or compete against it is really important. And then I talked about these new entrants. And while they're competing with you, they also want to partner with you. And so um, our clients are looking for executives who can collaborate with these new entrants. And so can you partner with PE to do something that you could have done by yourself, but not as well? I mean, the sort of classic example is the urgent care examples of, uh, I, I had a client of mine who uh, wanted to build like four or five urgent care centers and they started, they were build, they were buying real estate, they were building them. And then their competitor came in with a PE firm who had built out uh, one of the haircut places and just had great retail expertise. And they put up 10 of them in their market before they had opened, my client had opened their first. And so being able to, to adapt to building such relationships and then holding these um, uh, uh, new entrants accountable for the partnership because their incentives are different than yours, most of yours. Uh, and so being able to, um, uh, to to manage those relationships, I think, is really important. Um, embracing uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, is a uh, is a non-negotiable. Uh, and so our candidates have to be able to speak to building an inclus inclusive uh, culture that fuels diversity, that fuels uh, learning. And, uh, and, and if you can't speak to it, um, with authenticity, you, you're going to have a really hard time um, uh, being competitive. And then lastly, this isn't so much in the States, but something we see clearly outside the States and coming to the States is this embracing sustainability. So there was an article in the Wall Street Journal in the last couple of years that uh, a large portion, I want to say it was a quarter, but it might not have been a quarter of our uh, uh, gas gases are, or carbon gases are produced by hospitals. And it won't be far long till you're held accountable to those. And so I think they'll, this will be something that's that's coming uh, kind of on the way. And then I, uh, I'd also say non, I, mean, I skipped one, non-traditional candidates. We, we do hear from our clients, particularly at the beginning of a project, bring us the whole spectrum of candidates from outside of healthcare, inside healthcare. They almost, and, and Angela can probably speak to this, they almost never choose the person from outside of healthcare. It sounds really cool at the beginning, um, the only time we really see them doing that is around HR, digital, and marketing. Um, but they do like to see them in what's going on outside, and then typically um, recognize that the cultures and and uh, and uh, uh, business models are just really different, uh, and so they generally choose inside. So, uh, so, so how is this impacting your organization uh, as uh, so, so as you're trying to build your teams? I think these are things you're probably seeing is whenever you're doing a search, you're seeing fewer candidates. I mean, that's just sort of obvious. If you have fewer people in the market uh, and you have more demand, you're going to have fewer candidates. Uh, and so I think um, you're also having few, uh, more passive candidates. So again, should not be a surprise to you if you don't require a candidate to get on a plane for the first visit. It's really easy for them to just say, I'll, I'll take a call, I'll take an interview uh, with less investment. And so that is playing out uh, where you have more passive candidates. Because of that first one uh, and the fewer candidates and the uh, the, de the demand being up and supply being down, the, the ability to act fast is really critical. So it is putting a lot of pressure on organizations 
that can be bureaucratic in their hiring and wanting candidates to see everybody, uh, they lose candidates. Uh, and so uh, we, we ask our, our clients to be as, as nimble, effective, and efficient as they can be. And then uh, the desire uh, for some to work remote. Uh, this is usually a pretty controversial topic when I bring it up to my clients and they say, why would we ever let an executive work remote? And I say, because the executives want to work remote and uh, and you're, you're going to limit yourself with talent uh, if you don't allow that. Our clients hate that. They generally say uh, we're not interested in it, uh, but more and more uh, candidates are asking to work remote or asking to work uh, on demand. And then we've had lots of complications with uh, with housing market, finding and affording. Things have been uh, uh, kind of crazy like that. And then uh, shifts in compensation. So in that uh, market that I described earlier with demand up and supply down, uh, the fungible thing is comp. And, most, and, and we have great comp consultants that serve our industry, but their data is usually um, uh, dated. Uh, and so it's not always caught up. And so you have to be flexible on, on how you leverage comp when you're building up your teams. So a few things that we would suggest uh, that you... Uh, uh, that you do to 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 um, prepare your organization. This is one is have active retention planning. So if you've got great talent, do everything you can to keep them. Uh, some of that can be economic. Uh, it can be uh, you should evaluate everybody on your team differently. Uh, if if there's a huge risk associated with one of them leaving, you should address it differently than one where you feel like, hey, we've got three people that could take their job if they left today. You should not treat those as the same because they're not. They're different risks, and you should evaluate it on a risk basis. Um, you should have contemporary compensation systems if you're in a position to impact those short-term, long-term um, uh, uh, golden handcuffs, whatever you can do to try and keep it. And I realize economics um, can be matched by someone else, but at least you, you're doing what you uh, what you can. Uh, flexible work as much as you can. Um, active planning and communication around secession planning. So uh, many of our clients aren't as uh, as active in secession planning as they could be, or if they are, they don't actually communicate to the people who are in the secession plan. And people leave when they don't think there's a next opportunity for them. So uh, it is something that we would encourage our clients to be very active. And then just building culture that attracts uh, in, uh, uh, people uh, in a very deliberate way. And that is generally uh, concentrating on an inclusive environment that attracts all kinds of people where they can be successful. And so these are the things that we really try to push for our clients um, when attracting I will spend uh, a few minutes on this, what we call the candidate lens, which is how is an organization uh, evaluated by uh, candidates? So when we call a candidate, uh, Angela or myself calls a candidate uh, and they say, here's the CEO position. They go, Andrew, I've got like eight or nine questions to answer these and I'll tell you if I'm interested or not. And usually this is kind of how they do it. So if you're not in the recruitment phase, but you're in the I want to be recruited phase, you probably ought to be asking these questions. They're the things that that people um, generally evaluate. So one, they want to know what's the culture of the organization? What's it, what's it feel like to work there? Uh, and so we need to be able to tell them what it's like in your organization. 
And, uh, and that's going to draw people in or push people away. Uh, some of these, there's right answers or wrong answers. Some of it, it's just a calculation here um, because your culture is what it is, but you can improve it. Um, secondly, is they want to know what's the leadership team like. Are they all about to retire? Are they all brand new? Do they all look the same? Do they all have similar skills? Are all of them candidates for the position I'm going into? Um, is there an appetite for change? And so a lot about that team. So being able to, to talk about the team uh, that this person would be joining. Um, strategy and vision. So does the organization have one? Uh, they don't all, not all of our clients have strategy. Well, I, I actually did a search where they were selling to another organization and uh, on the vote on Tuesday night, voted not to do it and called me on Wednesday and said, we have to do a CEO search. We have no strategy. So we need somebody who's good at it, right? So for some candidates, that was wildly exciting. So they're going into to literally with a place that has a great balance sheet and a great market to be able to build a strategy. So there's not a right or wrong answer. There's just, do we have one? Is it clear? Is it supported? Um, the leadership structure, uh, I talked about the team, meaning the actual people, but does the structure actually support um, what we're trying to do? So is there a, a, a connectivity between the strategy we want to have the structure that we have, the competencies we're looking for, the people who are in those positions, and the rewards that they have. So do we have alignment along that with the structure? So you can imagine uh, if a new health system said they want to be, or a hospital system said they wanted to be a successful integrated delivery network, but they did not change the comp structures of the hospital presidents, they'd have a hard time being successful. So that's what that's about. Current state of IT, uh, is another. Um, and so are, uh, have you already invested in Epic or, or is that sort of a big balance sheet hit you're going to have to take? Um, what's the clinical quality like? What's the market position? What's the board like? Uh, and on the board, it's, is there a lot of turnover? Is there planned turnover? Are they, are they functional? Uh, are they committed do they support the leadership team? Do they support the strategy? And is what's their risk tolerance? So we spend a lot of time talking about risk tolerance with them and, and, and how uh, innovative they'll allow the new team to be. Uh, the commitment to, uh, to diversity and inclusion is a critical one uh, on, on all of these searches. Balance sheet strength and lastly, sort of quality of life. So that's the questions that we're, we get from candidates. And one that I would talk about um, um, that we've seen that I get a lot of questions on is how can an organization distinguish itself uh, uh, to, a talent, to attract uh, talent that's diverse? And I'd say there's a couple of things. One, it can't be done on an individual basis. It can't be solved by a hire. Uh, it has to be solved by a culture. And it has to be done uh, by an organization having a story that starts with the board and uh, goes through leadership and is supported by activities that support an inclusive environment where everyone thinks they can be successful. And there's a new tool out there called Denominator, which allows potential candidates to evaluate the inclusivity uh, culture of an organization based off of publicly related information. So they can go in to Denominator and enter in whatever organization they'd like to and see how does Denominator rate them. Now, I would say it's not necessarily a, it's not an in-depth tool. It's sort of on publicly related information. Does the CEO have a stand on DE&I? Does, is the, is the leadership team diverse? 
candidates are going to be evaluating your organizations based on those things, whether they're using denominator as a tool or they're using the things that denominator puts into its tool. So I would just say those are ways to do it. All right. I know that Bruce is about to tell me I'm, I'm almost out of time. So I'm going to try and speed up here a little bit and switch gears to, uh, to talking about you uh, and, and what you can do to position yourself as you think about your career progression. Um, number one, I'd say be, be planful. Uh, it, do not let your career happen by accident. And so be thinking about two jobs ahead and the experiences that you will, are going to need to be successful in that. And so be, you know, take notes, two general journals, write down your successes, think about ways that you can improve, have a mentor, have several, have a kitchen cabinet, as they say, of people who will tell you what you really need to hear, not what you want to hear. Um, I think a, a way to distinguish you yourself without changing a job description is by uh, volunteering for enterprise-wide uh, projects that that stretch you, uh, but that don't overcommit you, and so that you can see um, that you have uh, capabilities beyond your technical expertise. Um, you, you need to market your successes and, and own your failures. Uh, uh, we're going to test you on what those failures might be. Guess what? Everybody's got them, so it's better to share them than, than not. Um, build your brand uh, because uh, if you're not building it, it's being built for you. And so being mindful of what goes into brand building, uh, personal brand building, I think is, is important. And so just like I said to be deliberate about your career progression, be very deliberate about the authentic impression you want to give to the market. And so that's this personal brand I'm talking about. And so writing down the things on a yearly basis that you want to um, uh, uh, commit on um, or comment on or post on, uh, and those should be uh, a reflection of building on top of things or of, of things where you believe you can contribute. And you have to be um, careful to not overshare. Uh, you know, it wears people out whenever you click on everything or you comment on everything. You, it needs to be deliberate as to like, what am I trying to present to the marketplace about who I am and how I contribute to the industry? Uh, and so oversharing is a, is a, is a problem. So enterprise-wide projects, building a brand, uh, getting involved in things like Gahi, um, and then I would also say uh, deploying or exercising range. There was a great book that came out sometime during COVID uh, called Range by David Epstein, which is basically um, uh, as AI grows, um, the human contribution will be how do we actually connect all of these things that we see. And so getting out of being just a technical expert, but being able to connect the patterns and the dots is what leadership Will be like, and so I think that uh, being able to to deploy that range and moving from being a technical expert to an expert in achieving results through structures and teams is how you should be thinking about differentiating yourself uh, and and growing. A uh, couple derailers, and then I'll I'll be done here. Um, social media can be a derailer. I mean, it's oversharing. Please know that employers are going to look at whatever your footprint is uh, that's out there. 
And I know it's important for people to bring their whole self um, to, uh, to, to, to work and people want to be transparent about who they are. There are, are, um, there's still guardrails you got to put on that. Um, moving too often is a, a real problem that we see. Uh, if you're really good, uh, don't take every job that comes your way. Be discreet, uh, in, in the jobs that you look for. Bad bosses are a real problem. Interview them harder than anything. Um, and so know why someone left the position. Uh, know what you want to know what's their legacy. Uh, who have they helped build? Uh, and there are people that I can point to in uh, that, that are seasoned executives who can point to 20, 30 people that they helped build their career. And you want to be part of that legacy, not somebody who's got so, somebody in, in the position uh, over and over and over again. Organizational failure is hard to overcome. And so if you have uh, uh, an organization that has continually struggled from a quality standpoint, from a financial standpoint, uh, how you're going to go in and fix that, um, know the, your ability to sometimes is limited in how to, uh, to completely save an organization. And then don't underestimate uh, assimilation changes. And so what does that look like if you've only worked in one organization uh, it's it's real whenever you, um, you you join another one and, and the, the rhythms and the ways that they talk to each other, even though they do the same things that you do in your current organization, it just can be difficult. So with that, I will, I'm right on time. So I'm going to stop sharing uh, and I am going to open it up uh, for questions. If you have some, feel free to reach out in uh, in two ways, either through the chat uh, or raise your hand, come on screen, and feel free to ask me a question about anything that I uh, may have <coughs> may have brought up. So we have someone who says here, uh, moving can be a derailer, um, but is staying in a position too long equally derailing? The answer is maybe, probably. You know, I mean, what you've proven is that you can you've got staying power, Stephanie. So that's great. Um, we will have, you know, if someone's been in an organization for 20 years, we will get the question, can they transfer? Can they transition to somewhere else? And, um, and you have no, no uh, expert, you have no experience in it. So we have to guess. We may guess in your favor and say that they have, you know, we'll help them. We'll put coaches around them uh, to help. Uh, we'll help launch the team, all these kinds of different things that can be put into it. But it will be a question that will come up in that in that recruitment. Uh, the name of the book that I recommended, uh, I've got all kinds of books I recommend, uh, uh, Krista. So the one that I mentioned was Range, R-A-N-G-E, by David Epstein. It's pretty good. It's long. It's kind of technical. But I think the it's the antithesis of the 10,000 hours argument of Malcolm Gladwell, which is you know, doing something over and over again, the reality is those things will most likely be replaced by AI, unless you're a golfer or something that is really unique, um, you'll need to be able to to uh, to deploy range. But go my my LinkedIn, I, I have all kinds of books that I recommend um, and I'll worry out on that. So we have here uh, someone, uh, good day, I'm retiring from the U.S. Navy after 21 years of working in the military system. Is there, is there a major difference between civilian and, yes, 
uh, Jamail, I, I could talk about that for a long time. It's probably best to set up some time with me. Um, and I'm happy to do that because there are ways that you should leverage that because um, leadership is leadership. I, I believe that strongly, but being able to convince uh, organizations that you can leverage some of those experiences in the same ways that other candidates can, can be a challenge. And so um, reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to, to, um, to connect with you on some ideas on that. Andrew, I'm also putting your email address in the chat because okay, it's a really yeah, good question and it is a very long answer. So for everyone joining, there you go. Okay, so the question was, do you sense a greater gap in executive role availability in one geographic area uh, versus others? Okay. Um, the answer is yes, right? So uh, the... I see our landscape on a national scale. I've tried to not talk about things internationally, so just domestic here. Uh, there's a much greater shortage in the Northeast and the, and, uh, the West because people want to more people want to leave those um, economies than than uh, go to them. Georgia <clears throat> does not have that issue as much, and I know everybody here is uh, on with uh, from Georgia. So we don't have as uh, significant a gap of availability as we do in other places. Um, we are starting to see some people make decisions, and this isn't a judgment, it's just, an, it's just fact. We're starting to see some people make decisions based off of the political nature of the state uh, where we're doing work. And so you will see someone who leans one way, not wanting to go to a state that is perceived to lean another or is making certain uh, law changes, that's actually, we are starting to see actual candidates not want to go places. Um, you also asked if there's a difference of availability between executives and investor versus community. Um, there are differences in those two kinds of organizations and the ways they view talent. Uh, it does, the if you're a large investor-owned organization, you are creating pipelines in a completely different way than you do if you're a community health system. Uh, I have faith that these large, you know, advocates, uh, common spirits will start to rival some of the development plans. We see a lot of people start in the for-profits early in their careers because the the, um, the career pathing, the career paths are more obvious. And then they get to a certain level and they go, okay, now I want to leave because I actually identify with the purpose and the mission of a not-for-profit. But uh, for not-for-profits do not have nearly the sophistication of the development and the pipeline tools. And it's partly because they just can't leverage it across their scale in the same ways. Okay. I got, there's the uh, something else on the Navy as well. So I'll come back to those and just hope that the, that the people reach out to me. Uh, um, are there any other questions that folks would like to? to oh, Andrew, I think we we skipped one from Tammy. Oh. It says, in light of the changing dynamics in the healthcare industry due to new entrants, what specific qualities and skill sets are you prioritizing in potential candidates to ensure they can navigate and thrive in this evolving landscape? Great to hear from you, Tammy. Hope you're doing well. Um, so I would say that that one piece that I talked about being nonlinear and sort of being able to to um, find solutions in lots of different ways 
um, is the most critical uh, because the markets, as it changes and you're dealing with uh, new entrants and uh, in a more dynamic market, the ability to show that you're adaptable and able to uh, to think in a nonlinear fashion, I think that would be the one that I would highlight the most. Excellent. Thank you. Oh, sure. This is like rapid fire. This is great. I know. It's kind of fun. <laughs> Other questions? Well, again, um, please feel free to reach out to me uh, as you'd like. Uh, we, we believe um, strongly in giving uh, and contributing to the, the growth of our industry and the talent in our industry. And so whether it is related to a particular project or a particular um, solution or whatnot, um, I view it as an important part of my job or the jobs of our team to contribute. And so I, if I'm not the right person to answer the question, I can help you find uh, uh, someone who uh, who can help. And so please feel free to reach out. We also do a fair number of webinars uh, that you might find interesting. And so please check them out on our website. Uh, we, I'm trying not to do too many commercially things, Angela, but I, you did say I could do that. Yeah, check out our website. There, there will be a very great job at roundtables. So. Yeah, so roundtables and webinars and those kinds of things, we try to, to make sure that we are uh, taking those curated data points uh, from uh, and then turn them into to uh, insights that contribute. So uh, Rhonda Moore just asked a question about, do, do you find organizations desiring specific credentials for the C-suite? Oh, it depends, uh, uh, Rhonda, on, uh, on the job. You know, I think that what we, <clears throat> one observation that I think is different from when I started in this uh, forever ago is that the, the concept of the hero CEO is gone. And so the hero CEO was all you needed was the right CEO and everything would work out. Uh, that's just not the case because organizations have become so much more complex. You have to rely on a team. And so I think to answer your question, I would say um, if I were evaluating um, um, an organization's ability to be successful, it's how does that team interact and how well does the CEO allow that team to interact. There's actually a great book, another one called Senior Leadership Teams uh, over here. Um, and it's actually written by some of uh, Angela's colleagues at Corn Ferry. It was written when they were hay. It's a great book about how enterprise leadership teams work. And so Rhonda, I'd point you to, if we're looking for any sort of generic credential, it's can they work as a team? Uh, can you you know, take your technical expertise and apply it to a new culture, community, landscape, platform, whatnot. Um, and then if you're, if you're a CEO, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot less about the, um, the, the, the solutions and a lot more about how did you get teams and structures to work together? So that, that would be my answer to your question. And not to, not to make a, a plug for ACHE, but I have to. Um, and it is real. So I don't know if you've heard this, Andrew. Um, I met with the regent in South Florida 
and she's over an HCA hospital and that South Florida HCA, as you guys know, HCA is the largest for-profit system in the U.S. They are almost completely pulled out of Georgia though, other than Savannah. Um, but they are still the largest and they are toying with the idea since Florida is now its own, it's becoming its own, not entity, but kind of spinoff of HCA. Um, this is a region approach rather than hospital specific to the national organization. They have talked about making FACHE and board certification ACHE not preferred but required for C-suite. As an idea they are toying with, it will be interesting if they do that because I think that's going to set an, a very interesting standard. Um, but if it does, I got to have my plug. Uh, if you do have questions about getting board certified or becoming a member, please let us know. We're in the middle of our board of governors exam review course and getting plugged into these organizations where you drop the competition, whether it's search firm to search firm or hospital to hospital um, and really coming together and networking and learning more off of what other people know. It, it does show a value, whether I know if it's going to become mandatory or not. To be determined, that is just a rumor that I have heard um, so far, but that is something that I would I would highly encourage. Um, you typically would go to a board certified family medicine doctor or surgeon, and it is something to, to be regarded. So there's my plug hey, for ACHE. Um, if I can, and build, then, if I can well, go ahead and then I'll build on top of that. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, Dr. Moore also asked about competencies, but I'll pass along back in. Yeah. So, so on the uh, credentials part, I think that it is important to continual, continually uh, um, educate yourself, be that through ACHE, be it through um, you know, different online or, or, or in person, but there's so many great online credential through like eCornell's diversity, equity, and inclusion program, or NACD's National Association of Corporate Directors, you know, just learning about th how things work. Um, so regardless of whether or not HCA says it's required or not, you can express to ACHE or Angela or myself a continued commitment to making yourself a more balanced and more informed leader by continuing to do some of these things. I would caution you to say, don't, you know, don't call me and say, I just got my accreditation or my credential, get my, get me my new job. Cause that's not how it works. Um, but it will show you it, all of those things will help contribute um, to your advancement. All right. We think we've got time for one more. Krista mentioned, are there C-suite roles that are currently are not in existence or relatively new to the healthcare industry that you anticipate becoming more prominent in the future? <laughs> Love this one. I have an answer. Uh, it's the chief sustainability officer. Uh, get ready. It's coming. Uh, if if you're a young executive that is interested in sustainability uh, and, uh, and have an operating background or understand facilities or that job, everybody will have it and none of them exist. So if you're thinking about career progression, don't, you know, don't do it just because Andrew said it, but study it. And for those that, are, that is one that doesn't exist. A couple of years ago, we would have said chief innovation officer or chief transformation officer, chief digital officer. Those are all new. Uh, they exist in most of our clients at the moment. Um, sustainability. I only know of like three or four systems that actually have that position today. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Um, we'll go ahead and get started with our wrapped up announcements. Um, I did want to kind of make a funny uh, Allegheny Health. Speaking of new titles, I don't know if you heard of this with Cindy, but they just changed their CEO's title just a few months ago now to Chief Health Living Development Officer. So the titles just keep going. Um, I remember whenever Chief People Officer was new, but uh, I wouldn't get too stuck up in that. Uh, it, healthcare is definitely shaped, shifting and changing a lot. So really appreciate you, Andrew, and giving some great insight. We did put his email um, down at the in the chat, um, but it's uh, you can also check out you know Whitkiefer.com. Their website does have a lot of the the webinars, the roundtables that Whitkiefer puts on that are highly informative on a national and international scale. So thank you again, Andrew Chastain, for speaking today. And thank you to all of our annual sponsors. We appreciate all that you do to provide leadership for the healthcare industry here in Georgia. Also, as a reminder, please do make sure to complete our meeting evaluation, which will be emailed to you later today. Your survey feedback is of great importance and help to us as we do strive to have continuous improvement in content for our education programs. Also, be sure to self-report this one hour of qualified education credit on the ACHE website. Hope everyone has a great afternoon, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming events. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks, Angela. Have a great day. This has been the Gahi Leadership Podcast. For more information, find us online at gahi.org.